Less Doing, episode 119. Ari talks with Jordan Gray. Welcome to the Less Doing podcast. Less Doing, more living, more living, more living, more living. Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening in. How are you doing, Felix? Not bad. How are you doing over there? Great. Loving yeah. my loving my co-working space over here at Jointure. You've got a, one of those, uh, a, a beer... Yeah, in front of you, even though it's ten in the morning. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm just drinking beer and eating uh, uh, fruit by the foot. <laughs> Ari just told me that they have a, a keg on tap at his co-working space, twenty four hours a day, twenty four seven, baby. I don't know how he gets any work done. But, uh, <laughs> there you go. I'm actually, I'm actually recording from inside the kegerator right now. Okay, so well, today's interview is with Jordan Gray, and Jordan is uh, an awesome guy. First of all. I wanted to talk to Jordan for a couple of reasons, one of which is that he's a relationship coach, and we get into some really interesting stuff, not just about emotional components, but physiological stuff. We talk about uh, <laughs> limiting orgasm, not limiting orgasms, rather, but limiting uh, ejaculation, actually, so semen retention, as he calls it, is one of the things, and how that relates to relationships, and then also Jordan produces an inordinate amount of content and has just really great stuff that he puts out there and so much of it. So it was a really, really fun interview. Now let's get to the review and then we got a question, a big question for today that's actually focused on Felix. So go for the review first. Okay. So here's a review from a human project is the name of the person posting. Uh, Something we all need to live by. Five stars. Less Doing, More Living is a great podcast. Very motivating to start living and enjoying the moment. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much indeed. Um, Okay, so let's get to the question because it's a a meaty one and we're going to give some information about it and then more of that will be discussed in person in May. But go ahead, let's, let's roll the question. Okay, here we go. What tools do you use for your podcasts, specifically your microphone and how you record phone interviews? Do you use a Skype plug-in or Google Hangouts? Is your microphone USB or RCA? What editor do you or your VA use? Where do you get your music clip for the intro and outro? Is it Creative Commons music? What's your automation flow after you've recorded? Dropbox, IFTTT. I heard pieces of this on your Creative Live webinar. Thanks. Okay, so um, obviously a lot of questions in here. Um, the way I, the mic I use is, I'm basically a traditional recording guy. Um, so what I, I use an Assure SM57 microphone, which is like a very standard microphone. It's what they will use at like a, presidential address um so the mic i use is a is a traditional recording mic it's not one that's um been sort of produced for home recorders like with the usb interface so that's um, that's the one i have too right yeah Yeah, that's right yeah so ours goes straight into the xlr jack and uh, we have an audio interface which converts the audio um into 
to digital so you can plug it into your computer. The editor I use is Logic Pro, and you can use any editor you want. I think a lot of people use Audacity, which is free. Um, but what I use is, is Logic because that's what I, I use to write my music in, and it's, it's all essentially the same same thing. People use Pro Tools, tons of other things. It's like comparing any piece of software to another, really. Um, the music is music that I wrote myself because that's what I do. And uh, but if you're looking for music, you can <laughs> you can contact me, um, and or you can look for other you know other music out there on the web. No, but... just con- just contact Felix if you want good music. Well, <laughs> more on that later. <laughs> um, uh, in terms of the automation flow, um, Ari, why don't you? I don't know anything about that, so you can take over that. Yeah. So the the, the basic thing here is uh, so Felix and I are recording right now, and I'm gonna when we're done, I'm gonna save this into Dropbox. Now the interview for today was recorded weeks and sometimes even months ago. Not not often, but usually we're about I'd say six weeks ahead or so on interviews. So I recorded this interview a while ago, and I saved that into Dropbox as well. Now the the short the quick, quick, quick answer here is, and there's a blog post that I wrote called A Well-Oiled Machine, and we'll link to that in the show notes, and that gives an infographic and a little bit more detail, but basically, they get put into Dropbox, and they get sorted in Dropbox, they go to Zapier, and then uh, one file, or both files go to Felix to put into the final edited episode, and then once Felix puts that back into Dropbox, into a different folder... That goes to our show notes guy, Mike Rossi, who's awesome. And then he actually uploads it to Libsyn. And then when it goes to Libsyn, that has an RSS feed attached to it, which then signals a fancy hands assistant to post it to the blog. And once it's in the blog, then it, it goes out to all the different social media things. So the, the actual editing and everything, Felix does all of that himself, so that is not automated. There are some services out there like uh, Auphonic, which you can run your file through, and that will improve it and definitely does a good job but it's not as good as you'll get from someone like an actual editor like Felix doing and you know Felix is being modest but he does he is offering this service now not only to do the music but also to you know to do audio editing and podcasts and your your website's going to be up soon for that I imagine um yeah whenever I get around to doing well, yeah so, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm she, keeping him very busy yes the um she, she also, I forgot to mention, she asked about how we record the phone interviews and um, uh, use a plugins of some sort. And, right. Okay. So if we're doing it on Skype, uh, I use Call Recorder, which is made by a company called Ecam. E C A M M. Uh, it's really straightforward. It's great. It, it'll you can record the audio and the video. You can record it as separate tracks. It, it really gives you a lot of features. And they now have a recorder for FaceTime, which is fantastic because you can do FaceTime on your computer, on your Mac, whatever. And the FaceTime audio quality, as Felix actually showed me last week, is fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's very impressive. Even if you just call someone on your phone, um, um, use like your iPhone. If you have an iPhone 6 or something and use FaceTime audio to call someone else on FaceTime audio, you will notice the audio quality is significantly better than that of the audio when you're doing a FaceTime video and noticeably much better than a regular phone call. Um, the other thing I should mention is, Ari, you're, you're using a USB mic, aren't you, at the moment? So Right, actually. So right now I'm using not my normal mic, not my Shure mic, but I'm using right. the uh, Apogee, Apogee little mic that I actually picked it up at the Apple store. Um, it's a really, 
really nice little mic. But as Felix also pointed out to me, because I, I, when it comes to sound stuff, Felix re- obviously really knows his stuff, and I have learned a lot from him and realizing how little I did know before. But the the Shure mic is, um, what did you call it? Is it a dynamic Okay, mic? so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just jump in if yeah. you don't mind. Um, this is what I should have mentioned earlier, is in choosing microphones, um, the most important thing is actually not the microphone itself, funnily enough. It really is the room that you're in. Now, everyone listening on the show, Ari is using the same microphone that he was using last week, but last week or whichever episode it was, um, sorry, in episode 116, you were using, you were in, um, you were in a very... um, in a cavernous very, room. A very cavernous room, exactly. And because of the mic that he was using, it picks up the sound of the room. So if he's so basically, if you if you're in a in a, if you're in a very boxy room, you need to use what's called a dynamic mic, which is what I'm using right now. And that will not pick up the sound of the room, it will just pick up the sound of your voice. Like right now, I'm typing on the keyboard. You might be able to hear it, but you probably can't. That's because I'm using a dynamic microphone. Most USB microphones are not dynamic microphones. So that's a little problem right there for most people. Um, I'm getting into too much detail. No, here, no, not at but, all. No, that's really, it's Ari, a really important right now, distinction. Ari right now is in his this new space, and it's very well acoustic, acoustically um, insulated. And what that means is that even though he's using a an omnidirectional microphone, which will pick up the room, we can't really hear it because the sound in the room that he's in is very dead. And that's... Um, so I'm going to get into much more detail about this. Um, hopefully not too much detail, but I'm going to explain this um, better at the, uh, the, the live event in May. And I'm going to be doing a special talk on podcasting and all of this, all of these considerations. Yeah, so that's that's. I'm glad you brought that up. So the Less Doing Live event, which is at LessDoingLive.com, is going to be our big event in May in New York City, May 1st through 3rd. And there's going to be a number of speakers, and we're going to be doing a bunch of workshops. And Felix is going to do a workshop on podcasting where he will really get into a lot of the nitty gritty, geek out details. And you you can walk away from that ready to do your own podcast. So, th- yeah, I, I think that that's a good amount of detail for now. And again, that that as far as the automation stuff, there was that blog post I did about the well-oiled machine. But that that distinction between a dynamic mic and a omnidirectional mic is really important. So, thank you, Felix, for that. And I'm, I'm glad we got a question that you know you got to answer most of it. Yeah, actually, it's a dynamic versus a condenser mic. Actually, ah, no sorry. Okay, thank you. No, no, it's my bad. My bad. It's good. Well, it's good. And the other thing about that, I would just say, is like, for instance, if I was going to have somebody, which I plan to, if I was going to have somebody into this space that I'm in now to do an interview with them in person, I would want the uh, the condenser mic rather than the dynamic mic, because then it's going to get both of us yeah. sort of talking across to each other. Yeah. Or you would each have your own dynamic, but that right. would require two or, mics. So, yeah. Or we would just sit cheek to cheek and put our voice. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, <laughs> um, but okay, so let's get let's get to sorry. Some, let's get on with this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get boring to everyone. I will bore everyone senseless if you ask me to. I could talk about this all day. So yeah, yeah. But hey, that's that's why we sound so good now. Wow. 
Okay. So, so. Um, okay. There's just a few links I want to talk about today. Uh, one is this is a, this is a, a really great thing. I love when you have a popular product and then you see other services that come out to support that. So the drop cam is the webcams or not? They're the security cameras that I use in my homes and uh, in the various. Like I used to use it as a baby cam and all sorts of things. And they're they're just they couldn't be easier. They have their own their own web server built into them. You just hook hook them up, set them up to, uh, with the Wi-Fi, and then you get a cloud-based DVR so you can see all the video from the last 30 days. There's sound. There's, it's really an amazing thing. This company called Drop Cases just came out, and they make cases to put your drop cam in so that you can put them outdoors. Wow, that is, um, that's very cool. Yeah, I'm just looking at it right now. And, it, yeah. It's like such an little... obvious thing, but it's a really good yeah. idea. It is a very good idea. You know, so if you really do want to use it, and actually have one that looks like a birdhouse and it's weatherproof. Yes. Uh, so it, it's great. And, you know, they actually have ones for GoPros, too. They have a tissue box that'll take a GoPro, uh, a clock, a bottle of shampoo, although that, uh, cool. that might be a little uh, not recommended. But Ooh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, drop cases. So if you have a drop cam and you wanted to use it for outdoor stuff, whether it's for security on your own house or home or for watching wildlife, whatever it might be, then this would be the way to do it. So, yeah. uh, okay, so the next one is a service. This is cool. This is from a guy named Russ. Uh, I forgot his name now, actually. Russ, uh, Russ Perry. So Russ used to have a podcast and website called The Optimized Dad, and I, I believe that I've actually done an interview with him. But he got in touch with me because he's on to a new company now. It's called Design Pickle. And basically, it is unlimited graphic design for a monthly membership fee of $179 a month. Brilliant service. So basically, for $179 a month, you can get unlimited design service. And and what this means, though, this is not like creating an entire ad campaign or something. But for instance, you could say, I have these 50 images, and I need them all reduced in size without being blurred or something. Or uh, lay out a promotional item, design a brochure cover, change the color in this logo, Design a, you know, design a brochure, give me a social media image, that kind of stuff. So basically, you have unlimited access to them, and they'll get it to you next day. That is, that's, that's, I mean, it sounds like a lot to begin with, but actually, when you have someone, um, that's actually very, very, very affordable, very, yeah. very cheap for what it is. That's yeah. a very clever idea. Very, very cheap. You know, cheap. and you want to get a, um, you, exactly, you want to get a, a, a promotional um, design thing done like that. That's that's a really clever idea. I like the way they price that. Well, and you know, think about somebody like me who has a blog or every time we do a podcast, we have a, a, a graphic designer who does the, the image for it, so the podcast image. So mm. now it'd be that kind of thing. So it's like, oh, I have episode 195 with so-and-so you know, I need an image. And, and also you could, this would be a great way for me, for example, to go about getting a, a new website design because in my experience, you know, people who are building websites, I mean, I know it's all changed now with WordPress and templates and everything, but a lot of the, a lot of the, t- the problems I've had in the past is that the people who are great at building websites are not designers in any way. Right. And to have this kind of thing where you could, and building a website is, you know, it's a, yeah, it's 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 a lot quicker and easier, and you can go and use Squarespace and templates and things like that, which are great. Don't get me wrong; they look amazing. But 
its um, design is, you know, images everything basically. And to have, um, and it takes a long time, it takes a good month in my experience to to get a, a website looking good and designed and to have a designer be able to to do that. I mean, I'm assuming they do that, right? Oh, yeah. On yeah. this. So, you know, and you can have them um, build, you know, and get your website looking really great while your tech expert goes about implementing that into a real working website. I think that's a, something I may well use. Yeah, really, really cool service. Um, okay, so there's a, a website called HandyMail, and I've talked about uh, several services before that will do handwritten cards for you that you know you, you want to send out Christmas cards or thank you cards, and you want to type the message, they will handwrite them and mail them out. This service does letters, full letters. So it's, Beautiful. yeah, and they're really nicely, the handwriting is very nice, and uh, it's, it is an actual handwritten letter. It's, it's 10 bucks for a letter anywhere in the U.S., which is not cheap but for the what you're doing you know it, it's actually a really good idea so if you wanted to send something you know I, I don't know if you necessarily use this if you want to send like a really personal thing but if you wanted to for instance send somebody a really heartfelt thank you letter for writing you a, uh, maybe a recommendation letter like it'd be a really great way to send a recommendation letter to somebody oh that's a clever idea you yeah. know yeah or, um, or if you want to get a, a load of letters done that's the other the same one. letter to a load of people you could do it as a product like a very personal invitation let's say you want to write let's say for whatever reason the only way to get in touch with someone um perhaps you know like for example my dad's business he makes copies of oil paintings and Everything they do has to be done by a snail mail. Um, well, not everything they, they do, but the people who they work with, they're generally the older generation and they're not on email and they're not, they, they like everything. They correspond via snail mail, basically. And if you wanted to approach someone that way and you let's say your handwriting's terrible or your presentation is just not good, or um, which in the, is the case with me in general. Um, yeah, me too. This would be a really good way to approach people like that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's cool. So, uh, handy mail. Uh, mm. Now, there are two articles that I want to discuss. So, one is called, well, it's not called, sorry. It's the, uh, the title is uh, Studies Show Diet and Lifestyle Choices of Both Parents Have Multigenerational Health Effects. Now, this is Honestly, it's kind of annoying because it's hard enough to make changes in your own life, but thinking about the effects that it may have on your offspring is a whole other ball of wax. But basically what they're saying is that maternal obesity raises the breast cancer risk of children, and uh, if you eat badly or smoke, you're going to affect generations beyond you. And um, The basic answer is to try to be as healthy as you can, but now you have the extra guilt of thinking that if you do something bad to your body, it's going to affect the life of not only your children, but your grandchildren, which is nuts. But So next time you go to smoke that cigarette or eat that fast food, just think about the effect that it might have on your children or your grandchildren. The other thing you can do is have kids and then treat your body like a roller coaster. <laughs> so you're not passing on the genes. Oh, because of when you... Oh, I see. So it's all about... Oh, yeah, no, you're, you're sorry. That, you're affecting your own genetics, actually. It's called epigenetics. Oh, I see. Okay, so this isn't like... Um, I see. I see what you're saying. So it's about everything you do before you actually 
give birth. Yes. Yeah, so basically, what you, what because of epigenetics, it's the environmental right, factors that that basically like break parts of your genes, and then those are what gets passed on. So what mm-hmm. they're saying, for instance, like your genera- yours and my generation, mm-hmm. our, our generation rather, uh, mm-hmm. our risk of lung cancer may be affected by whether or not our grandparents smoked. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, that wow. that's uh, up there. Oh, we can do nothing about that. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so now this is the other one. Though. This is something you can do something about. So the, this was an article in Quartz, and it was called uh, Making Your Kids Your Kid Play Organized Sports Could Cost Them Their Creativity. And I don't know how I feel about this, this the way this study was done, but basically what they're saying is that it's great for kids to play sports. They should play lots of sports. But having them play organized sports at a young age will hurt their creativity later on. Okay, so on the one hand, I kind of get this. Okay, so if, you, if you're trying to make your kid into like a tennis star when they're four years old or, or you know, a golf star when they're three years old and you're just driving that home and it's like play sports, play sports, mm. practice sports and, you know, organize and coaches and team members and like win or lose and all that stuff. Yeah, I get how that might affect other parts of their personality when they get older. But some people just are not that creative in general, honestly. Like, I don't consider myself personally to be a creative person. Like, what you do, Felix, where you create mm. music, to me, that's, like, mind-boggling. And I've told you that before. I can't even, I can't even fathom having to sit yeah. down and create on demand, you know, as a living. Right. So, you know, so maybe this doesn't matter so much, but it is, it's worth being aware of that. And this also goes back to, we've talked about this on a previous podcast about the 10,000 hour rule, about how just by making your kid play you know, a sport or practicing a sport for 10,000 hours is not going to make them into a pro. Um, so if your kid is showing interest in sports, that's wonderful. And it's kind of this is a very personal decision, I guess. But realizing that according to this study, if you put them into organized sports early on, uh, you may affect their creativity later on. So just something to be aware of, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'm the sort of jaded creative type who's not so worried about them not being so creative. Right, right. That's, but, uh, but that's really that. I mean, it's not really like that. It's just that uh, you know, I'm not going to be pushing my kids into uh, into creative professions, but I'd still would love for them to be creative. You know. Yes. Um, that's that's really all it is. But that's a whole different story, and you know, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So. Thank you, Felix. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. And uh, we will be back next week with John Naster of Hack the Entrepreneur. Okay, great. Well, thanks for listening in, everybody. And we will see you next time. And now for Feature Interview. So now I'm speaking with Jordan Gray, who is a relationship coach and a blogger and author, and uh, just a very, very interesting guy. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure, Ari. Happy to be here. So there's there's three or four different things I want to talk to you about. Um, content production, relationship stuff, some, some uh, physical, sexual stuff. So first of all, how did you get to be a relationship coach? Let's start with that. Sure. It, it's kind of, it's funny. I always tell people I didn't, choose that it kind of chose me like ever since being seven years old onwards I always knew that this was going to be the job that I would one day have to basically create because there wasn't any 
Uh, there's, you know, there's no university degree in how to have a thriving intimate relationship. It blows my mind why that isn't the case, but it just isn't. Um, so basically, uh, I've been self-educating in psychology, attraction, relationship management, human sexuality for the better part of the last 10 years. And yeah, I just kind of pushed my way into the industry and made my personal brand and the rest is history. Yeah, and it's, I mean, obviously, I, I, I have a very fortunate position to get to talk to people who sort of get to follow their passions. This is a really interesting one because it's almost like your passion is passion in some ways. So, how I, most of your clients are, are, are men, right? Yeah, they're mostly men and they're mostly self employed entrepreneurs. Okay. And then, is there some sort of common issue that you find that not only men, I guess, are having with relationship issues, but that particular subset of men that are entrepreneurs uh, or self-employed, that, that there's sort of like a common issue that you might see come up? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a few in different areas of their love lives. I say probably two of the biggest, most frequent ones are these guys are you know they're very. Uh, mission and passion driven in terms of they prioritize their work above all else and let their, you know, their girlfriend, their wives, their relationships take the back seat. And the other one I would say is there's a, a fairly, because these guys are like, you know, they're very type A driven, often perfectionistic kind of people. Uh, there's a surprising degree of sexual dysfunction because they're so obsessed with being these like highly optimized, flawless people that because they want to be like the perfect lover and the perfect, you know, partner in bed, uh, there's a lot of erectile dysfunction and stuff like that, that because they're still in their heads of wanting to be flawless, that they kind of get in their own way mentally. And is there sort of like a, a general approach to how you deal with that? Because, I, you know, there's so many, I, I feel like it would be so easy to just be like, you know, take it easy. Like, don't be so hard on yourself. It's like, be confident, you know? So, like, what what is the sort of approach to break that cycle? Uh, it's a fairly case-by-case thing because it is so psychologically induced. But, yeah, uh, yeah there's definitely, it's less of a, oh, like, let go of that thought because, you know, like, a true entrepreneurial brain, it doesn't really have an off switch. So it's not about telling them to, you know, stop having that thought process you're having, but more about redirecting that energy of, okay, if you're so focused on your performance and even, you know, even sex being a performance at all in your mind, then maybe to redirect that energy towards your partner and like just focus on her for the first 10 minutes. And like, you know, if you need a goal or a task, make it her orgasm, not your performance. Okay, so now you, you brought up a you said a keyword there that I think you actually made me want to skip ahead to something. So you said about redirecting energy. So you are a proponent of um, uh, withholding or or not ejaculating too frequently, right? I mean, what's the best way to call it? Yeah, exactly. Human retention, uh, harnessing right. sexual energy for greater productivity. Right. So, and, and redirecting that energy is what you sort of, what triggered that for me. So, can we talk about that for a minute? Like, how, sort of, how does that manifest itself, and how does I mean, how how do you cross that or uh, walk that line, I guess, between frustration and and regression, and actually using it to something effectively? Totally. So, if you know, if I wasn't an entrepreneur, or if the people listening to this like didn't have some creative project to funnel that energy into, then it would be you know, a cruel 
and unnecessary experiment. But I think as long as you have some creative project or some business or some, you know, thing that you can funnel that energy into, that's like, there's a, I'm a huge follower of Taoist sexual philosophy, like ancient Chinese sexual philosophy. And they, one of their like core concepts was this idea that sexual energy and creative energy are from the exact same wellspring. They're the exact same thing. And, you know, especially as men, if we squander our sexual energy, you know, say by like ejaculating every day, then our creative energy or the things that, you know, we're trying to physically make in the world will suffer because we're taking the most potent and, you know, truly the strongest form of energy available to humans, which is why we thrive as a species. And, you know, just like, literally throwing it in the wastebasket sometimes. Now, does that apply to women at all? Or, I mean, just, or women can just do what they want. <laughs> this is actually one of the, the few kind of gender differences um, that I teach any of my staff, and same with uh, Taoist sexual philosophy, that Taoists actually believe that men uh, have more creative energy and do better when they limit the number of ejaculations which to most men also means orgasms. Um, and for women, it's actually the opposite, that women do the best when they have the most orgasms because they don't lose, you know, depending on what kind of orgasm you're having, you're not losing, you know, fluid or losing sexual energy. If anything, you're like, you're stirring the pot and making it rise up more. Um, plus, uh, one of the kind of win-win situations of that is that for a lot of guys that, you know, when they start embarking on this journey, of semen retention and of like holding on to not necessarily all, but most of their sexual energy, uh, men actually also get a massive testosterone boost from making their woman orgasm. So, you know, by you having less ejaculations and helping your partner have more, you're both welling up that creative energy and feeling better and more supercharged throughout your entire lives. It's a really interesting uh, symbiotic relationship that I think most people don't actually consider a lot of times. And I, I think that, you know, at least stereotypically in most relationships, the man is sort of get in, get out, and, you know, get get, get it done with and, and leave sort of an unsatisfied partner. Like, that's sort of the, the stereotypical image that we see in movies and uh, stories a lot. So it, it's it's interesting to see that there is actually that, that really powerful symbiotic relationship that you can have if, if you do it correctly. So that, that which leads me to two questions. One is, is so you said limiting ejaculation, which for most men means orgasm. So I want to ask about that. But then the other one is sort of what is that? What is the right amount? Or you know, what is how does that how does that actually come out in numbers? Sure. So as for the the right amount, uh, there is there's going to be different uh, volume or frequency per person. You know, and as much as sexuality is made to be black and white in mainstream media, like it couldn't be more nuanced or shaped of gray or individualized. So, um, like, officially, like, all the most consistent data that has been done shows that men get a really big surge of testosterone around day seven, sometimes day six, after their last ejaculation. So, you know, long story short, if you wait a full week on day seven, you'll really feel that welling up of energy, you know, in your gut or somewhere in your body. And you're just like, whoa, it's like, it's like someone took the... Like if someone plugged you into a three-prong outlet and you just feel yourself being charged up a lot. And evolutionary biologists, you know, their theory of this is that if a man hasn't ejaculated in a week, then this is nature's way of giving him a rush of kind of adrenaline and testosterone to basically say, okay, if you haven't, if you haven't made it in the last week, then here's a surge of energy to go and either do that or to go and like 
with this new energy, accumulate resources that will make you a more attractive partner, aka build your business, aka create new products, whatever it is. And it's like it's like nature's motivator. So most men feel it around day six or seven, but depending on your unique, you know, if you're a male listening to this, your unique uh, hormonal cycle, which men also have, um, then yeah, you, you want to kind of like touch and go and feel where that is for you. And especially if you've been like masturbating or having sex or having an orgasm daily, then it might feel more frequent up front. Like it might be like, oh, like I hit it on day three. But over time, as you slow down, it will generally go down to that pacing of once a week. And um, is, that, is that what it looks like for you now? Um, exactly. I try, uh, depending on, because I do live in a relatively cold weather climate, uh, I find that I have more sexual energy in the summer, and I can ejaculate about once a week with my girlfriend. And in the winter, I try and limit it to even less than that, so maybe two or three times per month. Uh, and, but, and that's, but that's not a limit on orgasm. So this is, I'm assuming this is, we're talking about Tantra. Exactly. Yeah. These are, uh, this is a, one thing that definitely doesn't get enough attention in mainstream media is that men can have non-ejaculatory orgasms. Like men can have dry orgasms and women can have squirting orgasms. But for some reason, both of those things, and most people are accepted as, oh, only like, Two percent of each can actually do it, and I don't believe that in the slightest. If anything, I think it's the exact opposite, where maybe only two percent of people can't do it. People just haven't learned how to, or haven't had the you know the partner to help them get there. But yes, an orgasm and ejaculation, let's just stick with men for now, are totally separate things. An orgasm happens in your brain, and an ejaculation comes from your spine. They're totally separate things, and they can be separated um, by choice. How long did that take you to learn? Um, good question. When I first started, I'd say, and by the way, this is one of the maybe few things that actually gets easier with age. So if people are listening to this call that are over 25, it's actually easier for you compared to if you're under 25. So because I... You're not like a loaded pistol. <laughs> Sorry? Because you're not like a loaded machine gun. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, testosterone just completely thrived in the early 20s. Um, so yeah, I think I was a, you know, potentially unique case compared to most people who get into this stuff in that when I first started studying this, I was 21 years old and, you know, I was trying to like learn semen retention and separating ejaculation and orgasm at that age, which I later found out is, you know, one of the hardest phases to do it in. Um, so if I'd started now, I feel like it would have been much easier. Um, but yeah, I'd say short answer, maybe it took me. It took me like two or three weeks to do it at all the first time. And then to be able to do it consistently took me maybe two months to three months maximum to have like a high degree of control over it and, you know, do it at will. That's, that's really interesting too, because it's, it, to me, and I mean, I, I have not experienced Tantra, uh, but it, it, it seems like it, that would be incredibly empowering to have that level of control over your own anatomy. Absolutely. Yeah, and especially... Uh-huh especially in that kind of moment, like that, you know, the, whatever, let's say like the 10 seconds of crossing your, you know, orgasmic uh, point of no return, like those 10 seconds when you feel like in a good way for most people, you have the least control of your body and you're just like, it's like a freight train of energy. You're just like, oh man, like this is going to happen. And you just like, you know, screw your way through it. 
that's a, that's a huge like tidal wave of energy coming over you. So yeah, to be able to have, it's strange. Like until you've experienced it, it doesn't feel like, like a lot of people assume, oh, but if you're doing that, then don't you enjoy it less? Doesn't it feel like you're too in your head during it? And, and like you said, it's, it's a very, yeah, it is a very like empowering, like, wow, like, I have such a relationship with my body that you're almost hyper aware of it. Just like someone that, you know, is really into music, uh, going and studying uh, classical jazz for five years and then hearing jazz again, they don't lose respect for it because they know, you know, the intricacies of it. If anything, it's the opposite. It's like, wow, I still understand and have an appreciation for so many like deep layers of what's happening in this moment. No, no, of course. And I, I totally get that because it, it, it's, you know, biological functions are some of the things that we just take for granted often. And we just, they happen and we, you know, they're part of our day or part of our week or whatever. So to actually uh, take an active interest in it, I can, I, that makes complete sense. I think that's uh, it's really cool. So uh, I want to shift gears a little bit here now. So once you're, you're storing up this energy, you're directing it to other things. And, and one of the things that you seem to direct it towards is producing an unbelievable amount of content. So uh, I want to talk about that. So you've put like 150 articles out in the past year. Five, you're on your fifth book, right? Or your seventh book? I can't remember now. Yeah, I can't even keep track. Uh, my fifth just officially came out, but I technically have seven. So yeah. Yeah, okay. So you... You have a pretty interesting process, right, for how you write, how you, well, how you create, basically. So can you share that with everyone? Absolutely. So, yeah, I produce quite a bit of written content. Um, I, I basically, I wake up at 4 a.m. every day without an alarm clock. My body just naturally kind of set to that now. And uh, I'm fairly introverted, so I really enjoy lower stimulation environments when I'm writing. I know some people like being in voice stimulating environments, but for me, wake up at 4 a.m. before the sun has risen, um, and, and I get up and I either put in uh, custom fitted earplugs or earphones with binaural beats and then construction ear covers over those. So my head's like a brick fortress. I can't hear anything around me. Like, even if an ambulance or a siren drives by, like, I can't hear anything. Uh, and then I also wear uh, sunglasses or gunner's glasses to kind of magnify the screen. And I just like I go into the zone and yeah, and pump out content for about one to two hours per morning. Sorry, I cut out there. Um, so what I'm saying is, you're creating this external environment that's totally quiet and totally cut off. But what about the actual computer screen itself too? Like, do you, do you just have what you're writing right in front of you and nothing else, or how does that work? Yeah, so I'll I'll definitely turn off the internet. I have three documents that I'll have. Uh, on screen or available to me at the click of a button. So I have a brain dump article on the left side of the screen, which is basically like all random thoughts that don't have anything to do with the task at hand. The middle text document will be like, for me, because I write a lot of articles, um, will be like my more refined ideas place that I dump my ideas. So like, oh, like here's, a, here's an article, or here's a like three-line synopsis of something that I want to write, or here's an idea that might turn into a book. On the right side, which most often takes up the full screen, then I actually have, here's the article or the piece that I'm working on currently. And so this way, I'm ever in the middle of writing on one topic, and I go, and, you know, for me, like, ideas just kind of germinate in my brain, and they kind of spit themselves out whenever they decide to. So sometimes I'll be in the middle of writing a piece, and I go, oh, my God, like, I just, I totally figured out a piece or an idea that I wanted to funnel into this other content that's unrelated, and I can minimize the main article, 
put it in my brain down things so that I know, okay, like, this idea will not be lost. And if it matters enough, it will you know, be worked on later, but I can go back to the article or book or task at hand. And does, uh, does your does this method with uh, with headphones or anything, can you do this not only at home or in your office? Or, I mean, can you do this while traveling? Does it work, or is it location-specific? Because <laughs> some people are like uh, that. You can absolutely do it anywhere. And that's, like, every piece of those things is, I intentionally set it up that way to be able to do it anywhere because I do a lot of really good writing on airplanes, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, you know, do take flights frequently, and for me, that was absolutely vital is that I wanted to be able to travel with this. And I also, coming back to you know, stimulation sensitivity, the, uh, that's actually how I started using construction ear covers. And, you know, if anyone listening, like construction ear covers, they're the, the big bulky things that are probably just as ugly as you're picturing. Like they're usually yellow or orange and they're very obvious. And you can get ear covers for, you know, 15 to $20 and those alone take out anywhere from like 30 to 40 decibels of sound. And so when you combine those with the binaural beats in your earbuds or also like uh, earplugs or custom-fitted earplugs inside, you, you block out the, the engine noise and all sound around you so quickly. Like there have been times where I've been writing stuff with my ear covers on and I'll feel the vibrations of sound in my chair from some, from like a truck driving by or from, you know, the airplane engine, but I won't be able to hear it in my ears. Like that's how effective they are. So yes, it absolutely does travel well. And you can basically just switch on this, you know, productive creative mode at will whenever you want. Yeah. I, I really love that suggestion. And I'll tell you why, you know, one of, one of my big suggestions for people who want to improve their sleep is to wear a pair of blue blocking sunglasses before they go to bed, which is not anything groundbreaking, very simple, and you can get a pair of them for like eight bucks. So for you to be suggesting that you need know, to use the construction headphones or a headset for, you know, which are, which you literally can find those for like 12 bucks on Amazon if you really want to. Uh, that's a really, really great idea. And people sometimes don't realize where distractibility comes from. So if you can cut out sort of that external uh, input, that's, I, I think that's, that's fantastic. It's a simple thing, but it's really, really effective, clearly. Um, so uh, one sort of specific relationship-related question I actually had is, uh, you know, there's books out there like Sex, Before Dawn, or Sex at Dawn, and um, there's a lot of relationship experts who talk about how monogamy is unnatural. And I'm just curious to hear your take on that. Uh, that's, a, that's a big question. I could go on for hours. Um, <laughs> do I think it's... <clears throat> natural in terms of um, it being a thing that we are 100% all naturally driven to and is our only desire? No, absolutely not. On the like animalistic mammalian brain level, yeah, like there's, there's tons of uh, polyamory polygamy throughout most mammals, and humans are no different than that. Uh, does that mean that you know, a lot of things that aren't officially natural to our you know, like reptilian brain or mammalian brain level um, that, you know, isn't good for us that we don't do. I think right. that, you know, us having a prefrontal cortex and, and being the species that we are, there is, like, the 2% difference that makes us humans instead of animals, um, you know, when adhered to, uh, it does bring a lot of kind of character growth and integrity. And so is monogamy natural? No. Is it recommended and healthy? And does it help you grow the person by 
investing into one thing long-term, whether it's a business for a decade or a partner for life. Um, yes, I do think there's a lot of value in that. I think that's a very good way to put it. And that, that seems to be the general consensus. A lot of people that I talk to uh, who are in this space say basically it's not natural, but we do a lot of things that are not natural and that we don't necessarily want to do, but they're good for us in some way or another. So no, I think that's that's great. Uh, so, so the last question that I would like to ask on the podcast is what are your top three tips for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like, uh, but three tips to be more effective. In their relationship or just in general? Whatever you want, whatever you think will make somebody a more effective person. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm heavily biased because I do spend my entire life thinking about relationships. I'm not going to take it there. Um, for me, I think that, again, one of the most consistent things that I see, whether the, the person listening is an entrepreneur or not, um, is this mindset that, you know, you have to uh, put your business first and, you know, really make sure your career is like totally dialed in before you invest in your relationship. And I would challenge that and say that the exact opposite is true, that, you know, you'll get to your financial targets or to your business growth or whatever level you're looking to, you know, get up to next faster by making your intimate relationship the priority over your business. And so the three things that I would say for that, the three tips into prioritizing your relationship, still in a, uh, time-effective way, because I know a lot of people that listen to this probably are those kind of optimizer, what are the quick hack ways to get to these results? Uh, the first would be, you know, you might have heard the quote, show me your calendar and I'll show you your priorities. If 100% of your calendar is business-focused with, you know, maybe a bit of like health and gym stuff, then I would challenge that and say to try and make 10% of your calendar relationship-focused. And whether that's okay, like scheduling a dedicated sex date where you and your partner just like pull up in your bedroom and remove all distractions for four hours and just actually explore even once a week. Um, or, you know, second tip, have what I call a weekly CEO meeting. And basically that's, you know, you and your partner, again, have distractions free, hire a babysitter if you need to, uh, turn your phones off, no TVs, no digital light. Um, and yeah, there's like, pulling up in your, in your bedroom and having even a 20 or 30 minute uh, verbal meeting. We just check in and, you know, ask like deeper probing questions like, uh, are there any fights that we had in last week that you don't feel complete about or anything that you, you know, want to address that you feel like is bubbling under the surface? Uh, how can I best support you in your work or in your life over the next week? Things like that. Like just literally making the time and giving that space for, an open dialogue for communication. Like if there's one don't get divorced tip, that would be it because so much important communication just completely gets swept under the rug. And so giving it the time and space it deserves is just a massive hack. Uh, and the third one I would say for easily making your, your relationship priority would be creating a shared Google doc for you and your partner for you guys, it's basically like a relationship bucket list to dump in like date ideas or vacation ideas or things that you want to do short term or long term in your relationship or you know just doing things together that even at the end of a really long work day or work week, you can both kind of like, you know, go to the Google Doc and go, okay, like I don't have the capacity for creativity right now, but all these other times that I did have the capacity for that, we can just go to this, agree on a thing. 
And that can be our date night instead of just, you know, mindlessly switching on Netflix and sitting next to each other under a blanket. Uh, those are, those are awesome suggestions. My, I, I could see, you know, a funny situation with the third one where, uh, you have that Google doc and then you go in there one night and someone's written, uh, going to ballet and the other person's written monster truck madness. So you have to figure that out. But yeah. uh, I think that's a really, really good suggestion actually. And, um, I actually have several shared Google docs with my wife for, for other things and like Google calendar and stuff. So that's a, that's a pretty good idea. Um, okay. So Jordan, that was awesome. Where, where can people find out more about you? The main hub is jordangrayconsulting.com, J-O-R-D-A-N-G-R-A-Y consulting.com. They can also find out in my books on Amazon. I'm the top match there, so just, you know, Amazon me. But yeah, I have, I have video courses, I've got books, and I also do one-on-one coaching through my website. Great. Well, we're going to have links to everything in the show notes. And Jordan, thank you so much for your time. This has been really, really great. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ari. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.